You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast from Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, visit our website at rh-church.com. Hey, Pastor Chad here. I'm so glad you've taken the time to listen. We're currently studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. Among other things, we'll see the mission, the persecution, and the expansion of the church. Now, time for this week's message. Okay, if you guys have your Bibles, and I really, 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 really hope that you do, why don't you open up to Acts chapter 6. As I said, we have a lot going on this morning, and so glad to be able to hear that testimony from from Nick and Amber and, and seeing that village is pretty cool. Puts things in perspective, and you know, as they were sharing their testimony, I was thinking just how they go into this village and how they are just trying to be part of the people and just living life with each other and, you know, eating meals and hanging out and how it just naturally flows into conversations about Christ. And, and that's Acts 2.42. And that's what it is. And, and that's, you know, what we try you know, to emulate in our church is Acts 2.42. That, that's why we, you know, we don't call you guys congregation or even really community. We use the term family, faith family, on purpose because that's what we want. We want that sense of family. We want that sense of Acts 2.42 that it's not just Sunday mornings or, or Wednesday nights when it's convenient or possible, but it's we are living life together. And that's really what the church was supposed to be. When, as, as Christ um, established and built the church, it wasn't just for a, a simple weekly gathering, but it was this powerful force that did life together. And so that's, that's awesome, and I applaud Amber and, um, and Nick. I, I'll be honest with you, I... I I knew I liked Nick as soon as last night I got a phone call from him. And I was in the midst of putting the kids in baths and in bed. And he had left me a voicemail, and it followed up with a text saying, Never mind, my wife told me this already, and I didn't listen. (laughs) And I was like, man, this guy right there, that is totally me. And I said, "That's, that's where Court and I live, where she and I will have a conversation and then later on, I'm saying something, and she looks at me, and she says, why do I even talk to you? Why? I've told you this a hundred times. And so that's, that's why. So Nick and I, you and me, right there. Amber, you and Courtney are on the same page. So, um, but that's awesome. All right, so let's go ahead. Acts um, chapter 6, um, we're going to look at verses 8 through 15. And just quick, quick, quick recap. Last week when we got into this um, Acts chapter 6, and we started back up again, you have this problem, this perceived problem. We don't know if it was a, a really legitimate problem at all or not. Luke doesn't tell us if it was really going on. All we know is there's at least this problem in perception. And, and again, understand this church is growing fast and rapid. And, and, and Jerusalem is one of these very kind of cosmopolitan type areas. You have people from all over that are coming into Jerusalem. They come, they make these voyages to the temple and and. and just for instance, that Pentecost day, that day of Pentecost, there was this feast and they're gathering, they're coming together for this. People from all over the world or all over the, the known world come there and boom, revival breaks out. And some of these people are staying. And so you have this whole 
you know, a lot going on, a lot of different people groups, a lot of different languages going on, and, um, and God's really working. And, and so there's this perceived problem, though, as this church is growing. You kind of have these two groups. Now, they're all Jewish by heritage, okay? But you have these kind of two different groups. You have these, as we said last week, kind of these Hebrew Jews or the Jewish Jews. These are the hardline traditional Jews. I mean, they, they, they spoke the Aramaic. They, they, they were just very traditional. But then you have this um, group that the ESV calls the Hellenists. And, and they're what we would call the more contemporary group. Um, they're the group that, that their common language was Greek. And um, most of them weren't necessarily welcome to the temple, and they would hang out in their own synagogues, their own kind of places of worship. Well, as these people are coming and, and knowing Christ, well, one of the things that they would do is they would collect these, these um, they'd have these collections, and they would take these food and offerings to people in need, and, and, and a lot of what you'd have there, especially in Jerusalem, you have all these widows, and again, what would happen is, as people would get old, later in life, they would, they would come to Jerusalem because that was like the promised land. That was the area that, that was their heritage, and, and, and many would want to die there and rest there. And, and so as the husband would, would pass on, soon you, you would have these widows. And something that we're not completely, we don't completely see and feel maybe in our culture here in America today is, is in some regards, when people would come and they would follow Christ, um, they would be cut off from their family. And so you have these, these people, these, specifically these widows in need. The disciples would have been considered the, the Hebrew Jews, the, the Jewish Jews, those who spoke Aramaic. And as this offerings would go out and food would be distributed, these Hellenist Jews, these Hellenist widows felt that they weren't getting equal treatment. And so they began to voice these, these complaints. And again, we don't know if it is or isn't true, but it was at least perceived to be that way by them. And the apostles acted. And they created this, this group. They, they decided to, to create this first Meals on Wheels type thing for these widows. And so they, they appoint seven people. What's interesting, we didn't really touch on this last week, what I think is interesting about this is these seven people that they choose. Some will call them the first deacons, and we can debate that a little bit. But these seven people who were picked or were chosen weren't the Hebrew Jews, but they were the Hellenist Jews. If you look at their names, they all have Greek names. And two of these individuals will go on and, and um, become quite well known, and that was Stephen and Philip. And so last week we ended with this, this, this creation of this group that they would go and they would focus, the, the disciples, the apostles would focus in on the teaching and the preaching of God's words, and they delegated this power. And it wasn't that they were above or greater or their job was more important, but that was the gift and the calling that got a place on them while these other deacons, if you would, would go out and would serve these widows. Well, we pick that up in verse 8. And it goes from that kind of collective group, those seven, and now we get into this one particular character. This guy by the name of Stephen. And Stephen, to me, is one of the most important New Testament characters. Uh, a guy with um, an amazing testimony, but 
by the time we finish the next chapter or so, he's no longer present. And so I want us to pick up, we're going to read these verses 8 through 15, and then let's just try and dissect it a little bit. So verse 8, 6, 8 says this, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the, create, or of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those of Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So Stephen's going around, and, and what I find interesting in this is Stephen gets this job. Uh, it wasn't a job that would come with a spotlight. It wasn't a job that, that offered this great notoriety. And in some regards, we could say it was a very simple, somewhat mundane, behind-the-scenes type job. And Stephen was faithful. He was faithful in that job, and he did, and he went. And, and you know what it reminds me? Psalms 92, verse 12, it's a cool verse. It says, The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The, the idea is this, those righteous, those who are faithful, like as they remain faithful in God, we begin to grow, and we get stronger and have greater influence and so here we have Stephen who does that job, does it well, does it faithfully, and he begins to grow and God gifts him and gives him these other opportunities. And so he goes on and, 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 and it's, he goes from delivering food to all of a sudden he's doing great wonders and signs, performing miracles among the people. Verse 9 says, and then those other groups begin to argue with Stephen. Remember, Stephen is a Hellenist Jew, a Hellenistic Jew, and he goes to these areas, these other synagogues. And, and, and for us to understand and remember, you have one temple, but then these other synagogues would be these other houses of worship. And he would go to these areas, and he's, he's being faithful, and he's sharing the, the word, and he's sharing um, the love of Christ, and it creates these disputes. And this is what we don't know for certain, but I think this is quite possible. In that area, when you see the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, that, that area is, is talking about more North Africa. But then when it gets to this idea of Cilicia, we're going to see a character show up very, very soon, who will have a profound impact in the life of Stephen in a not-so-good way, but will later be blinded on a road, give his heart and his life to Christ, and will go on and write a great portion of the New Testament. We know him as Paul. Before he's Paul, he's Saul from, anybody remember? Tar, Tarsus, which is an area mentioned here. So, in all likelihood, as Stephen's going and preaching, he meets up with Paul or Saul, and his arguments begin to occur. Verse 10 says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him, 
and brought him before the council. Verse 13, they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will destroy or will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, just in the next few moments, as we look at this, this man, Stephen, one that several times will be identified as a man of faith, a man of grace, a man of power. Lord, I pray that this morning that you take your word, that you plant it into our hearts and our minds, into our souls, that you use it in a mighty way, that you use your word to transform our lives. God, I pray that you use this specific passage here today to work. And and God, I ask, I pray, I beg that we leave today different than we arrived. God, I pray that you give me your words, give me your heart, give me your passion. Help me to stay faithful to your word. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We have this story, and I find it interesting as, as Stephen is faithful to God and God grows him, develops him, and brings him into these other areas of ministry. You know, um, I was listening to a friend of mine this week, uh, a video of, of, of him preaching. He himself is a missionary as well. And he was back home in the States and he was giving a report to the church one of the churches that supported him. And he was, he was expressing to them that, listen, you know, God's called his family to leave here and go to this country, much like he's done with Nick and Amber, to go. And, and, and what he was reminding this, this church was, was this. God may not call all of us to go or to leave. I mean, he's called some. And, and, and there may be some that are here right now that are sitting that are part of this faith family that God has called or will call. But he may not have called us to leave. But one thing that God has called all of us to do is to leverage. To leverage where we're at for the kingdom. Okay? Um, the reality is this. Every single one of us is a missionary. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. We may not leave. We may not leave Tallahassee. We may not leave Florida. We may not leave the United States. But he's given all of us a mission field. He's given all of us. That great commission was not just for Nick and Amber. That, that great commission was for all of us. As, as Jesus, as we read in Acts 1 as Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, promises this power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just for those who would go. It wasn't just for a select few. He's saying, listen, all of you, all of you who believe in me, this power is coming, this Holy Spirit's coming that will give you power to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So this power is there. It's coming. And all of us are called to be missionaries. And so if we're not called to leave, we are called to leverage where we're at. That's leveraging our relationships. 
It's leveraging our finances. It's leveraging our businesses. It's, it's leveraging our homes. It's leveraging our cars. It's leveraging everything that God blesses us with. And that's what we see Stephen doing. Stephen's leveraging the opportunities that God is giving him. And God grows him and uses him in bigger and bigger ways to where he goes from just passing out meals to where he's preaching and he's teaching and he's performing wonders and miracles. But along the way, the road gets bumpy and challenges arrive. I think, at least in my life, there have been times where I've thought, if I follow God, if I do what God has called me to do, then there should be blessings. And oftentimes, I equate blessings with good things, like rewards. Like those of us um, who have young children, um, you know, and, and right now with cash, we're potty training cash, which seems like it has taken forever. There's a good chance that he may be a teenager before he's potty trained. And and one of the things that Courtney, and I should say this, we're not really potty training. (laughs) Courtney's potty training. (laughs) Okay, let's be clear. But one of the things that, that when Cash goes number two on the potty, he gets a reward. He gets candy. And and you know what? Um, Sometimes I feel like that's the way it should be with me as a Christian. When I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, there should be candy. <laughs> there should be a reward for this. I mean, something that tastes good, smells good, looks good. And then all of a sudden, as we step out and do, and when something tough happens, when, it, when the reward doesn't show up in what I perceive as candy, I don't like it. It causes me to question. I mean, be personal with you guys. I remember, um, for those of, that don't know me well, um, I remember God called me as a, I guess I was about 16, a long time ago now, to ministry. And I remember going through my teenage years believing that's what God called me to do. I remember going off to college, a Bible college, um, and while in college making poor choices. And, and in many regards, running from God, doing things I, I shouldn't have done, to the point where I ran away from God's call in my life. And that running would take place in various forms, in various speeds, for a good bit. I remember I ultimately moved down to Tallahassee to, to teach in a Christian school. And that was kind of one step close to where God called me. And then I, I got involved in, in um, working outside of ministry from a full-time capacity and owned a business for five or so years. God got a hold of my heart and, um, and I began to do what God called me to do. And I wanted to be faithful. And that was a, 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 a tough transition. It's still a challenging transition in our life because it's not just me, it's Courtney and the kids. But I remember... Um, doing that and taking these steps to go forward and pursuing what I really believe God called me to do. One of those, those, those days um, for um, those in ministry pastors, that's kind of a special day, is, is when you're ordained to be a, a minister. 
And, and prior to that, I remember prior to the, you know, the, the dog and pony show when you get in front of the church and they say nice things and give you a Bible or a ribbon or whatever certificate. I had to sit before this, this council. They'd ask you questions and different things. Just so happened that the, the person who was kind of overseeing this council was, was a, a member, kind of the head of the association of the attached denomination. And everything went well. And I remember one of the last things he told me in, in front of the whole group, he said, listen, Chad, I want to challenge you to remember your call. Remember what God's placed in your heart because ministry is not going to be easy. And he goes, in fact, more than likely, there's going to be somebody in this room who's going to turn their back on you. You know, my mom like, that's ridiculous. I mean, these are all, most of them were good friends or they were deacons and things like that. And I thought, that's whatever. You know, it wasn't six months later. And guys, I don't say this thinking, I'm not comparing myself to Stephen where I was a man full of faith and power and perfect. And my, my face didn't shine like an angel. <laughs> That's hard to believe, I know. But I remember um, being in my office working one day and that same guy who shared that with me came in and asked for my resignation on behalf of the church and in conversation, realizing that there were three individuals in that room that night of my ordination that had stirred a pot, right or wrong. And listen, God has used the outcome of that in amazing ways. And Redemption Hill probably wouldn't at least be here right now had it not been for that. But I want to tell you something. In, in those moments... In those, those times where you feel like, God, I've just done what you've asked me to do. I, I, I be, I'm trying to be faithful to you. And the reward, it's not Reese Pieces. It's not a Snicker bar. But it's these people who are drumming things up, who are saying things. I mean, to the point, guys, where like I... I and here's the deal, you know... Um, with Stephen. Stephen's being accused of blasphemy. And, and they, in this, they say that it's the result of him talking about the destruction of the temple and the law of Moses. We don't know exactly this, but, but it could be that Peter, or that, that, that Stephen in his, in his message, in his conversation was simply quoting Jesus. If you look at John chapter 2, 19 through 22, Jesus answered them saying, destroy the temple and in three days I will rise it up, or raise it up. And the Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. This is a, a good probability that in the midst of these conversations that, that, that Stephen simply as he's talking about the temple is talking about Jesus Christ and how he came and how, how that temple was destroyed but then three days later was, was raised from the dead but a statement or a word taken out of context by a fool becomes a tool for evil like it was there and it's hard 
And when we think we're doing that, and, and, and many of us, although our stories may be different, the circumstances may be different, we can think of times in our lives where, where we've, we believe we're doing, although not perfect, we, we believe we're doing what God's called us to do, and we're trying. And we're maybe even giving our lives to go further or willing to, to take other steps. But then as we do that, we feel like we run into a brick wall. Or even those that are supposed to be other believers begin to talk and murmur. And so quickly it could be derailed. You know, one of the things I think we, we misinterpret is this idea that our faith journey is going to be easy. That it's always bubblegum and raindrops that everything works out and everything does the bible does all things work together for good but the bible never says that all things are good all things are easy but to me what is so impressive is how despite this despite these charges despite these things that were made up to the point where they go out and hire people. And what's amazing to me is you look at this account of Stephen and you compare this to the account of Christ, there's so many similarities. But Stephen remained faithful. Stephen, as he's being accused of all these things, doesn't get hot-headed, doesn't lose his cool. The grace that we keep hearing about Stephen remains to the point where the people, the Sanhedrin, the same group of people who, who tried Christ, the, the same high priest that would accuse Christ, more than likely are staring at Stephen, and Stephen's by himself in front of that group. And they're frustrated because his face is shining like an angel. Here's something I find interesting. Stephen, his Greek name is Stephanos. And that means crown or wreath. It was something, a, a, a term that would have been used for that crown, that wreath that would be presented for those who were victorious in these public games. Much like the Olympic games we have today, rather than those, those gold and silver and bronze medals, they would be presented with this wreath. They would be crowned with a wreath of victory. And Stephanos means crowned. We see that same root word used later in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, a verse, or verses that are familiar, and I would maybe jot that down in this section next to Stephen's name. It says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. This is Paul the same guy that he probably argued with, and the same guy we will see very, very soon. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Here's the thing I think we see with Stephen. Stephen was able to maintain 
the power and the grace and the faithfulness because the crown he was chasing wasn't something that he would be awarded here on earth. It was a crown in heaven. That same crown that Paul is talking about, one that cannot be corrupted, one that cannot rust, one that cannot break, one that, that, that will not lose its value. And so as ministry, as our faith journey gets hard and, and people doubt us or people make fun of us or challenges occur that we don't understand and maybe we don't get that prize that we necessarily want here and now, we need to understand that we're not chasing a snicker bar here on earth, but we're pursuing a crown in heaven. And that's what Stephen did. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for this passage. God, I'm thankful for this man, Stephen, and how you used him. I thank you for his grace. I thank you for the power that you use in him. I thank you for his faithfulness. May those be key markers in all of our lives. May, may you use us in ways we never thought possible. Lord, I don't know what you or how you may have worked this morning. But Lord, if you did, I pray you help us to have the courage and the strength. And God, it may not be a call to leave, but maybe it's a reminder to leverage the things that you've blessed us with for your kingdom. Maybe it's a reminder that even though it may be tough right now, or challenging right now, that we're not chasing something here, but we're pursuing a crown in heaven. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you work. It's in your son's beautiful and precious and holy, amazing name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Our goal at Redemption Hill is to see souls saved and lives changed. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision, or maybe you have a question or a comment, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad c-h-a-d at rh-church.com if you don't have a, a regular church home we would love for you to consider visiting us you can go to our website rh-church.com or find us on facebook for directions until next time